And in this room collectively, we have so many experiences and backgrounds, different wounds, different victories. And I just want to propose that today, that we would all come together, not to hear a sermon, not to hear some songs, but to have an encounter with God Almighty. I've learned in my time that, um, that that is what matters most in this life. And so let's just declare that. Jesus, we, we give you permission and we invite you and your spirit to speak to us today. And I pray that we would leave different than when we came in. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? You can be seated. I was gone on sabbatical last year. I want to thank my dad for speaking. Um, man, what a, what a gift to have um, Doug Self here and all his wisdom. Do you guys like that? Yeah. 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 Not more than me, of course. Hey, let's keep an appropriate amount of, <laughs> amount of woos. No, I'm kidding. Um, I was on sabbatical, got some direction for this year for the church and for us personally. And, and two weeks ago, I had a sermon that was kind of the state of the church address for 2020. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to January 12th sermon because we talked about a few things. We, we mentioned that the themes for this year for us in many ways are going to be bold decisions and deeper roots. That in 2020, the orchard, we're, we're going to, to go, um, work and pray and wait for God to move in us that we would make bold decisions and put down deeper roots. Bold decisions in our spiritual lives and our relationships and our resources, bold decisions on how we love God and love people. And deeper roots, you know, deeper roots withstand the storms of life. Deeper roots grow sweeter fruits. Deeper roots give our faith a depth and stability that we need in life. And ultimately, deeper roots and bold decisions transform us to be more like Jesus. And that's the ultimate goal. In Romans 8, 29, it says that God knows those of us who will follow him. And it says that he chose us to be like his son. That God's spiritual growth plan for your spiritual life is that you become more like his son, Jesus. And to do so, we're going to need to make some bold decisions in our spiritual lives and put down some deeper roots of faith. And one of the ways we do that is through series like we're going to start today. And then I know you guys, um, today's sermon is on stewardship, and I know that you guys are just excited about that. I mean, I've never heard a pastor put stewardship on the wall and people just come flocking in, give me that stewardship message. I mean, stewardship isn't going to win any popularity contests. Stewardship isn't always a compelling sell, but I'll say this, show me a life spent well with good stewardship, and the end result is very compelling. Bad stewardship Show me a life like that, and you often see a tragic tale. You see, good stewardship leaves in its wake deep peace. Bad stewardship often brings remorse and a scarcity worldview. And beyond that, we're going to learn today that there are important and eternal implications based on how we steward the life that God has given us. So what is stewardship? First and foremost, I want to just tell you today that today's message is not about finances. Finances are just a small, minute part of what it means to have a life of stewardship. Stewardship, true stewardship, goes way above and beyond your wallet. Stewardship is defined as this, the job of supervising or taking care of something. Stewardship comes from the word steward. A steward is a person who directs and manages the affairs for an owner. A steward administers and governs and handles and manages and oversees and operates, regulates and tends 
the affairs of the owner, which is the first important distinction, that a steward is not the owner, that stewardship is not ownership. Biblical stewardship flows from this. You see, we are overseeing, we are directing and handling and tending the resources and the life that the owner of the universe has given us. This is the primary start of godly stewardship, recognizing that God Almighty is the owner and that we are the stewards, that God is the author and owner of all that life has, that all things, all things flow from him into my life, that my time on earth is given to me by God, that your personality was given to you by God. In fact, you can turn to your significant other or your neighbor and say, my personality, it's a gift from God. And you would be right. <laughs> your skills, your talents, your giftings. Yes, you've invested and studied, but those, those talents and giftings, those were given to you from God. Your resources, financial, material, relational, and spiritual, all from the heart and hand of God Almighty. The breath in your lungs is on loan from God. The heart that beats in your chest put there by your creator. The first step toward godly stewardship is having the correct perspective that all things are from God. God says it this way in Revelation twenty two thirteen. He says, I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. And God, everything in between is God's. He goes on, it says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy 10, 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth and everything in it. In Leviticus 25, he talks to the people about selling land, and he says this, the land must not be sold permanently because that land is mine, and you live here as tenants. You're a steward here on this earth, that it's his. In Job 41, he says, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. For me, it was an important first step to settle in my heart that everything in my life and my life itself is from God. And that therefore, all things in my life are God's and for Him. I am a steward. I am a steward of the life that He has entrusted to me. And that means that I am to go through my life tending and leveraging everything He's put in, in me and in my possession to bring him glory, and to further his kingdom. Not to build a small Daniel self-kingdom and get that as high as I can, but to use everything that he has put in me to build his eternal kingdom. It's all from God. It's not mine, it's all his. And there's a way I've remembered this in my heart. For, for over a decade, there's a little line that my heart says. Anytime there's something from my life that is, usually it's when it's on the way out, um, either maybe God prompts me to give something to somebody or, or um, you got to pay something or a, re a car, a house or a relationship or anytime something is in my life and it's passing through or going out and there's a little bit of heartburn there as, as you let go of it. I have this thing my heart has said for many years and my heart whispers in that moment, it's all God's anyway. That my, my grip on it opens. Ah. <sighs> It's all yours anyway. It's all yours. And when it's all God's, 
when I remind myself that he's the owner, I can release anything. Because it's not mine, it's entrusted to me. And I am here to be a faithful and wise steward. So say this with me, say this. It's all God's anyways. Say, it's not mine. It's from him. And it's for him. Our lives are to be for our God. It sounds simple. It sounds like this shift would be simple. But this reality, this shift in reality, is one of the most difficult and most freeing truths in the world. It's difficult because we have this white-knuckle grip of perceived control on our life. It's hard to, it's hard to do that. It's difficult, but it's freeing. And it's freeing because this perspective, this divine godly perspective, unplugs us from the matrix of our culture and the need for control. Stewardship is unique. You see, stewardship reveals what matters most. Stewardship reveals how we see ourselves. Stewardship reveals how we see God. It reveals how we see life. Stewardship doesn't allow my empty words or lip service to win the day because stewardship shows me what I value most. Clarence Stoughton has a a quote about stewardship. He says, stewardship is everything we do after we say, I believe, about anything. You know, when I I told Amy, I do, in front of a bunch of people, and we had made our marriage vows, we made a covenant. I, I believe we're married. But stewardship reveals how much I actually value that marriage and that covenant. From that day forward, my stewardship of our vows shows the value I have in it. And if you've ever been in a relationship where your heart or or the vows were not stewarded well by the other person, you know the pain of bad stewardship. We may say we believe in God, but stewardship will reveal our deepest value. The way that I invest my time my treasure, and my talent that has been entrusted to me, that's the litmus test for how much I actually believe. We may say that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is where our vision comes from. But our stewardship on the other side of that proclaimed belief will prove if that declaration is true or not. Stewardship is everything we do after we say, I believe. And stewardship reveals more about us than we would ever know. And to make, this shift, to make this shift to see that everything is God's and, I, and I'm a steward, it drastically changes how I treat everything in my life. Suddenly, it changes how I manage the body that he's loaned me. It changes how I oversee the talents that God has delegated to me. It changes how I spend or save his money. It changes how I treat his children that he's entrusted to my care. It changes how I tend the marriage that he's entrusted to me in this life. It changes how I manage the time that he has allotted me. When I realize that he's the owner and I'm the steward, it changes how I view everything in my life and my life as a whole. And Jesus told a classic parable about this. A parable is a story with truth in it. And in this parable, it shows just how serious God is about stewardship. It's in Matthew 25. You can turn there in your Bible, your phone, or read along on the screens. But in this parable, right before Jesus preaches this part of it in Matthew 25, he he talks previously about how he's going to come back. He says, I'm going to leave, and after some time, I'm going to come back, and you're not going to know when, but I'm going to leave and entrust these things to you. 
that Jesus is going to come back and make a new reality for us. And therefore, based on what he just preached, he says this in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now remember, he just said, I'm going away. Who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now immediately in this parable, we have a wealthy owner who's leaving for an undisclosed time. He brings his people, he gathers his people to him and entrusts them with resources and a mission. They are the stewards. He is the owner. They don't own the things that he is giving them. They don't own the mission or the resources. It's his on loan to them while he's gone. To one he gave five bags of gold and to the other two bags and to another one bag, each according to their ability. And then he went on his journey. Now in the original language, it doesn't say bag of gold. It says uh, a talent which is a unit of measure, and a talent of payment. One talent was worth approximately 20 years' wages for one of these servants. So even the third steward who receives one talent, it's a huge windfall. It's a huge amount of money. The master knows his people, and he gives them according to their ability, and then he leaves on his journey, not saying when he'll be back, just that they're entrusted until that day. Continues, the man who received five bags of gold went and at once put his money to work and gained five bags more. The one who had two bags gained two more, but the one who received one bag went off. He dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. We have three stewards, but we have two different results. Two of the stewards do what is wise and they work hard to do what is best with what was entrusted to them. But one doesn't do anything at all. For some reason, he has his one talent, his 20 years of wages, and in, for some reason, he just buries it to keep it safe. But it's safe, right? I mean, it can be all that bad. It's safe. After a long time, the master of the servants returned. He came back to settle accounts with them. Now remember, he's telling this parable about how he is going to leave and someday come back. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold and I have gained five bags more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in my happiness. Well done, good and faithful steward. Faithful with a few. I mean, it's amazing that the, the master gives him these, these five bags of talent. Just how, how much money that would have been. And he says it's a small. In God's kingdom, that's a small thing. I, I'm going to give you so much more. Come, my son, my daughter, come be a part of my celebration. The second steward comes and he had two bags. And he said, master, you entrusted me with two bags. And see, I gained two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And, and one thing we see here is that the one with the five bags, the one with the two bags, they get the same reward from the master. He didn't seem like he's giving out rewards based on the amount of increase they have. The one given the two bags is invited to the same celebration of joy and, as the five bags. You know, there's a saying that says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. But it seems to be that, that in reality, the steward who most wisely manages what has been entrusted to them is the one who's victorious. Because the one who dies with the most toys still dies, and you take no toys with you. But we see here that it's not the end result that mattered. It was the heart of the steward. It wasn't the number of bags. It was the heart of the steward 
that the master celebrated. Then the man who received one bag came forward. Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground, and here it is. I didn't lose any of it. Now, now this steward reveals some things about himself in his speech. He's, he says some things that the other stewards didn't say. I knew you were a hard man, and I was afraid of you, and I buried it. This steward has a view of the master that has affected his stewardship. He was afraid. The master replies, almost in a sarcastic font, Oh, oh you knew what I was like, did you? If that's what you had thought, you should have gone and put it in a bank, or at least you'd get some return. What we find here is that this third steward did not know the heart or the nature of the master. This steward, his response was one of fear. He was afraid of the master. He was paralyzed from being a good steward. And this proves a very important point, that how you view God in your life matters much more than you know. That how we view God will affect the way we behave, the way we steward. It changes everything about how we engage with him, his kingdom, and the world. The heart of this third steward wasn't in the right place, and he, he did not perceive the master correctly. How we see God is of huge importance. On my sabbatical, God made it clear that my word for 2020 is, is seek. My, year, my word for this year is seek. That in this year, I'm to seek God in a new way. And as a preacher, it's, it's, isn't that your job? You have no idea that as, as a preacher, I, I, I read the Bible, I study, I do all these things professionally. But God's saying, I want you to seek as a son, not as a professional. To seek me in a new way. And I was up early one morning, and I had, I had read the Bible, and I had journaled, and I finally put those aside, and I just laid down on my face in my living room. My, my kids and my wife were still asleep. I just laid out there, and I'm just praying, God, God, speak to me. God, may your presence descend in this moment. And in his kindness, he met me there. I don't, these, these, these moments are so, there's nothing like them when your heart is resting in the presence of God. It's like your, your home in a way you never knew. It feels like I'm on holy ground in the presence of the divine creator who loves me. And I, I laid there and just soaking it. And I thought, after a while, I just I asked him, what is it the orchard needs from me as a pastor? And the response in my heart was so clear. What the orchard needs is a pastor who does this. Who seeks the heart of God. And I want to make that personal because what your work needs most is a person who seeks and pursues the heart of God. That your coworkers and the people under you and over you, what they need most is a you who seeks the heart of God and knows him better. What your spouse or loved one needs most is, is for you to seek God and be transformed in his presence. What your children need is a mom or a dad who's seeking God and who's resourced and given wisdom from that. What your life needs is a person who is seeking God's presence because he will change you and as he fills you, you leave his presence resourced to love God and love people in a way you never were before.
We need to be a church of people who seek God's presence. To know him in his word, to know him in prayer. And the more we know him, the, more we, we, the better we view him, like these stewards, we will then respond differently. If we don't know the master, if we don't know God, how can we be good stewards? How can we behave the way that our hearts would say, I love you and I want to act accordingly? God is calling us to seek him. The third steward proves that not only is he a poor steward, but he doesn't know the master. And the master's not pleased with him. And the master sends him away and banishes him from his presence. And what do we learn from this parable? We learn that God is generous, first of all. He's so generous. Even the third steward was given a vast amount. And just like us, many of, we, we've been given so much that we don't even take into account. I mean, just stop and feel your heartbeat. Feel your breath. That our life is a gift from, from God above. That, that even the most unfortunate of us in this room or listening online have, have been given breath in our lungs, a purpose, a calling, unconditional love from God, that Jesus died for us. God has been so generous. And we also learn that knowing the heart of God will change how we respond to him. Knowing the heart of God will change how we engage with him and the world. And finally, we learn that God takes stewardship very seriously. There are actual results and implications for each steward based on how they handled the life that was entrusted to them. And I'm not talking money here. I'm talking about their life, our life, that God has entrusted to us because he's coming back and he's given us gifts and abilities and, and resources and, he, and love and forgiveness and, and talent and time and energy and a physical body, and everything else. And here's the thing. I don't know if you know this. You can't keep it. We don't get to take it with us. We have it for a short time, and we steward it to glorify Him, to further His kingdom of love. Stewardship matters to God. It's about our hearts and how we view Him. When it comes to to what's in your life, what's in, what's in your hand. You have to ask yourself, am I, am I an owner? Am I an owner or am I a steward? Are you entitled? The entitled heart says, this is mine. This is my stuff. This is my time, my abilities. I, I did this. This is mine. This is my life. Are you entitled? Or do you know that you're entrusted? This is yours. This is all yours, God. Everything, every breath, every resource, everything about me is yours. It's from you and, and it's for you. The blessings between those two different hearts, the entitled and the entrusted, are vastly different. The end results between those two hearts, the entitled and entrusted, is immeasurably distinctive. And in this parable, we learn that the response from God to these two different hearts will be infinitely and potentially eternally unique. You see, how we view our lives, how we view our stuff and our stewardship matters to God more than we are comfortable with, if we're honest. That we've been entrusted with one life. I'm excited about this topic. 
Because it's going to call us to make some bold decisions. It's going to call us to put down deeper roots. And I want to end today by giving us a reminder. A reminder is this. You know, we can come here in this room, and I'm guilty of it too, and we can nod our heads at deeper roots. We can nod our heads at bold decisions. Mm, that's good. We can amen it. But at the end of the day, it's an individual decision. It will be your heart. It will be my heart that will at some point this today, this week, this year, be brought up to the cliff's edge of a bold decision. And you're not in church anymore. And just nodding and amening isn't going to be enough because God is asking you to step out in faith. And it's so personal. Anytime you're, you're there and God's asking you to step out in faith, there's risk. And wherever there's risk, there's unknown. And we don't like unknown. And so there's anxiety. So we can say, yes, we want bold decisions, but those bold decisions are personal as we stand on that cliff edge, trusting if I step out in faith that God's calling me out of my comfort zone. Am I going to do it? And oftentimes, I'll be honest, we're going to say no, but God in his kindness will continue to lead us back and give us more opportunities. And Orchard, my prayer for us this year is that we become a church who, you, you never get comfortable with those bold decisions, but, but you, your faith and your courage bolster because you know from experience that when God asks you to step out of your comfort zone and step out in faith, that he controls the result. You don't, and that he's there. I'm excited to put down deeper roots this year. And for many of us, that's, that's just a personal decision. No one can seek God on your behalf. And deeper roots means that we are seeking God apart from our one hour on Sunday. If you were here two weeks ago, you, you heard me mention that legitimately God said, I want you to tell my church this verse. I want, you to, I want you to proclaim this verse to my church and ask them to step into it. It was Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's from God Almighty to us. That you and I, that, that we will, will seek him and find him when we seek him with all of our heart. And I just want to say, maybe that's your prayer this year. That you would seek God in a way you've never seeked Him before, sought Him before. That you would find a calling to a whole new depth of faith. That you would learn what it is to steward your spiritual life and your life as a whole and say, I'm not the owner, it's all yours. I'm excited especially for next week. I was preparing for this message and had some things I was very excited about and it became clear halfway through that that's all for next week. So I, I was like, oh, I guess I'll preach this one. Just want to skip and go to that. This, this is good. It's good. But I'm excited for next week. I think God's going to have some inspirational, catalytic teaching that would show us, that would show us clearly what, what our life is. The first step of this new reality is getting in the habit of your heart whispering, It's all yours. It's all yours anyway. And if you have that in, written on your heart, it's the first step of being a steward. That it's all God's, it's all from him. And as we go into communion, I want you to, to, to get your communion and go back, and we're going to have a prayer up on the screens that, that says, all my life is yours. It's from you and it's for you. Just a prayer of stewardship. I'm not an owner. You've entrusted this life to me that I would glorify you with it. 
And as we find ourselves doing communion, if you're new here today, our communion um, is open to anybody. Jesus didn't say there has to be a class. He says, do this in remembrance of me. But I want to remind us of one thing, because we can just get in the habit of doing communion. We can get in the habit of coming up here and almost just taking a little snack. This is a sacred moment. This is a reminder that a life was given. It's a reminder that Jesus laid down his life for you. For you. And so we don't, we don't take communion lightly. It is, a, it is a sacred moment to consider again, Jesus, you gave everything for me, and therefore I'm going to give everything to you, that my life is yours. And so as we step into communion, I, I would encourage you to let the reality of, once again, what communion is sink in, and then pray this prayer. If you're here today and you have a prayer request, whether it is small or huge. We have a prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you. It's confidential. Just go back there, and they will pray with you over whatever it would be. But Orchard, today, let's engage with God at this deeper level about whose life is it anyway. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you laid down your life for us, and Jesus, we want to lay down our life for you in gratitude. So I pray today that your spirit would speak clearly Jesus, you know every heart in this place. You know where we hold on to things so tightly, where we are tired of just controlling. I pray, Father, you would show us what it means to be entrusted, to turn over ownership to, to the true owner. Hear our hearts in Jesus' name, amen.